I mean, he's been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting In Work, episode 85 of the interview podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, powered by Audio-Technica. I am your host, John O'Peck, and we are joined this week by Paris Conti. If you're a long-time listener of Putting In Work, you might remember Ryan Betson, who came on the show about a year ago to talk about the pop culturists, his YouTube channel running out of Geelong. And Ryan recently found his way into a job with Genu, formerly known as Karingle, which is a which is a disability support service. He's now working in their gamer program, which is all about helping young people with mental health challenges and high-functioning autism through the use of purpose-adapted gaming hobbies. So we're talking board games, video games, tabletop games, all of that good stuff. But the man behind that program, it's Paris Conti, and he's on the show today to talk about his journey to get to Gen U. So Paris has had a long career in multiple fields, but most interestingly, I would say he was part of the Microsoft team that launched their first console, the Xbox, back in the early 2000s, uh, getting that into retail outlets that uh, weren't overly enthusiastic to stock the item up against the likes of PlayStation and the Nintendo. So we talked a little bit about that and how he eventually went from there into retail with EB Games and how his role as an area manager and mentoring young people eventually inspired him to go into social work. And that's where the Gen U Gamer program comes in, finding a way to reach out to these people, experiencing a lot of isolation and social anxiety, all these issues that keep them from interacting with other people in a healthy way, but finding that games are able to break down a lot of these barriers. It's quite an interesting discussion. I think you'll really enjoy it and you might learn something too. So here is Paris Conti to talk all about the gamer program with Genu. Enjoy the show. Paris, thank you so much for joining me. No, thank you. More than happy to be here. Excellent. So let's get into it off the top. Let's kind of Give us a spiel of who you are and what you do at the moment with uh, Gen U, because it's a it's a new program as far as I know, and there's probably a lot of people that haven't heard about it, or even I guess Gen U itself because of the uh, Karingle rebrand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I work for Gen U as you mentioned, which uh, was formerly known as Karingle or St Lawrence. There was a, a merger. I think it's two mm-hmm. years now, year and a half, two years ago. Uh, so they were known as KSL for a while, but now it's all branded under the one organization of Genu, and we're a services organization that specializes in uh, disability, mental health, uh, and aged care support. Uh, The department that I work for is uh, Participate, uh, which is primarily disability, but we also have mental health uh, groups in there as well. Cool. My little section of it is uh, the newly established uh, gamer. Yeah, I guess that's what we're talking about tonight and what we do and, and how it all works. Yeah, sure. And you've kind of built that program from the ground up in a lot of ways. We'll get to that in a bit. But why don't you explain, I guess, your role at the moment in that? And then we can go back into how you got there. Okay. So uh, just launched a new site in Geelong. Uh, a dedicated site, which is pri- its its primary focus is to help uh, young people that suffer from a variety of mental health issues, whether it be depression, anxiety. Uh, we also do a lot of work with those with uh, high functioning autism. 
Uh, and but it's primarily focused at those young people that have uh, either disengaged from their community or are struggling to understand the community that they live in, find themselves mm. isolated or not fitting in. And through the use of tabletop and video games, we our program is designed to help young people develop the skills not only required to understand, I guess, the world around them, but to be able to express themselves, express their ideas and celebrate who they are in a way that other people find receptive. And so they can engage back in the community and, and start to chase the goals that, the, that they'd like to, to follow. Mm. That's really cool. Really cool. And it's been running for how long? Uh, well, we opened the, the, the doors to Gamer only last Friday night. But in terms of actually running the program, I've been running it now for over 18 months. In various locations, we've been moved around a bit. But as as we've proved how it works and developed it and expanded on it, Gen U thankfully saw the, the work we were doing and, and supported us and gave us our own sight. That's really cool. And I, I don't have any notes because we've kind of had this conversation already in a kebab shop. Yeah. But in this, in this setting, we can go into a bit more detail. Uh, and, and maybe you can give some examples of what this program does for those people you mentioned and some of the really cool outcomes you've seen so far. Wow, so many. Um, I might, I'll, I'll sort of bring it back on how, how, we, how I fell into it and, and then mm. I can sort of build from there. Yeah. So when I, um, when I first decided to get into youth work, which was roughly about three years ago, um, I decided to change career. And I've had, had a variety of, of jobs that I've really enjoyed in the past, but I was really passionate about training and helping young people. And I wanted to work in that field specifically. So I happened to study mental health at the same time. And during that study period, I hooked on as a, uh, what they call personal support worker or PSW in the mental health stream, mm-hmm. uh, with what was then known as Kringle and thoroughly loved it. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And because I was also doing youth work, I was asked to help out with a group of young people at a at a gaming group out of Guff, which is our local gaming store here in Geelong, uh, who are very supportive of the community. Uh, if you ever get a chance yeah. to go see Paul and David, the boys there, fantastic guys. Uh, it's like a gaming, like a gaming cafe or something. Would you say? Yeah. So there's an internet cafe as part of yeah. it, but they also support tabletop gaming as well. So you've got your card sure. games, board games, role playing games, uh, miniature war gaming. There's a lot of that. So this group of young people all had three things in common. Uh, they all suffered from some form of anxiety or depression. They were disengaged from their community. They found themselves rather isolated. And they loved video gaming. That was their three mm. three common threads. So when I was I came on board and got to talk to them, while I could engage them one on one very well, and and they were very articulate, and we had some great conversations. To actually get them to inter- interact as as a group was very very difficult. They they found solace in their technology, whether it be tablets, or phones, uh, hand, portable games. And so it was a real struggle to get them to do what they were there to do, which was socialize and learn socialization skills. Um, even to the point that when we, the second half of the program was to go in, into the community, like let's say Westfield and have, have a meal together, they would sit on separate tables a lot of the time and, and not interact. 
And after I did this for a number of weeks and I started getting frustrated within myself because I couldn't seem to crack on, on how to get these guys to, to sort of open up to each other. And I just happened to look up and saw a copy of Dungeons and Dragons on, on the shelf. And I've been playing that game since the uh, very early 80s, which tells you how old I am. <laughs> and I asked the guys, look, has anyone heard of Dungeons and Dragons? Would you like to have a game? And around me, it's like all these little lights went, went off behind their eyes and they're all looking at me and saying, yeah, we've heard of this game, but we've never played it. We'd like to give it a go. So we start playing a role play. It wasn't actually Dungeons and Dragons, but it was set in the same world. We used the Savage Worlds rule set. Um, and the change in these guys within a number of weeks was nothing short of miraculous. And I don't use that word lightly. The, the way they were communicating with each other, leveraging off each other's characters, uh, solving problems together was just mind blowing, literally mind blowing. And, and so the, the more we let them run with their characters, the more animated and interested and, and, um, communicating communicative they got with each other. Even to the mm. point when, when we did the food bit at the end, they would now sit together at the one table and we would go to leave because it was the end of our shift and the guys would stay at the table. And normally they would just shoot as soon as the mm. shift was over. Yeah. So I'm like, this cannot, I can't be the only guy that's come across this or girl that's come across this. So I started doing some research and I got in contact with um, t the two Adams from the Wheelhouse Workshop, which is a group in Seattle. Uh, who use role-playing thera as therapy. Uh, they ended up sending me back about an eight-page document with a whole bunch of notes. And from that core bit of information and this group, I worked along and, and developed a role-playing program that built skills and communication uh, abilities. So we don't do therapy, we do skill building. And that, that was the, sure. the, the start of how it all happened. And what do you think it is about role-playing games but also i know that you guys are doing board games and video games now as well mm -hmm. but what do you think it is about these <clears throat> experiences that bring out those social skills and that willingness to open themselves up to to thinking and interacting in ways that they wouldn't normally i i've given this a lot of thought i think the big key is the fact that they there is a buffer between them and the situations that they're dealing with within the role-playing game. So in society, if you want to test out a theory or if you want to ask a question or you want to open yourself up, you've you've got to deal with those consequences. Like a vulnerability Yeah, it's or very, something. Yeah, very yeah. vulnerable. In a role-playing game, because it's your character asking the questions or taking the actions and not you, you're free to explore anything that you have on your mind without worrying about how that will then fall back onto you. So I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples that I've I've noticed um, mm. as some of the guys have developed. So I've, I've got a couple of young ladies in my group and one of them, uh, one of the participants is transgender. And through the particular game that we've been playing at the moment, which is ETU. So if you can imagine uh, Scooby-Doo and Buffy the Vampire Slayer goes to university. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're, so they're playing university students and exploring what it means. They're having as much fun exploring what it means to be a university student as they are as being monster hunters. And what I've noticed within these girls is that they have started to explore areas of their femininity that they don't feel comfortable enough doing in public. So with with the young lady that, that's transgender, she's getting 
a real understanding of what it means to be feminine. When she came to us first, she was she has a fascination for Japanese animation and uh, so anime and manga, sure. and she had a very uh, a, a, what I would call a non-real expectation of what it is to be a a woman and to be feminine. So it was very much based around those character styles. Playing in the games and having two girls with her as uh, sounding boards, I've noticed a distinct change within the way she plays her characters. They're becoming more feminine, more realistic in, in, in an extent. And her ability to communicate or interact with the NPCs in, in the game have, has changed quite dramatically. Got an, another young lady who... Um, because of her her social anxiety, finds it very difficult to say talk to boys. And so, uh, this young lady, she a couple times now has played a a gay male character and has interacted with NPCs in such a way as not through the whole dating thing, but as in approaching um, a guy and saying hello and and interacting with them like a, a uh, a couple would uh, uh, just meeting, and the reason that she made the characters gay was that she was worried. At least I suspect she was worried that what her peers would think about the way that she was interacting with these characters. So she's kind of protected herself by creating an avatar that mm. that masks what her intention is, but yeah. still allows her to do it, uh, which which has been yeah. been quite interesting to watch. It's like a, a vessel for her to ask things and say things that she would feel like really vulnerable to say. Yeah, even with an avatar. If it was female, people would draw a link between, oh, that's really you wanting to ask that and that's you wanting to say that. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. And so the, I guess the guys in the group have become, uh, actually the beauty is that there, there's no um, there's no concern that she's playing a gay character. It's never, never even come up. But I guess what she's done is because they see the character as male, they're not making the connection between her exploring what it's like to interact with people for the first time and just simply ask them their name or sit in and have a conversation with the first time, which is, which is really interesting to watch. Um, and, and has been a big progression in for her. That's cool. So let's get back into maybe a bit about yourself, Paris, because mm -hmm. you've had a bit of an interesting career trajectory to get you to this point. <laughs> Just a little. Yeah. So tell me a bit about that journey. I know that you were working in like retail for a bit and then some stuff with Xbox. So yeah, talk me through that because I'm sure that there were probably times where, you know, maybe you weren't enjoying that and you thought, why am I doing this? But it's very clear now that that's all kind of led you to be able to do what you're doing with this program. Because if you hadn't had that experience of, uh, I guess, interacting with people in retail and knowing a lot about how games work and the way that people play them and, and choose to interact with them, that it might not have given you the knowledge that you have to make this work. Would you agree with that? Yeah, very, very much so. Um, so I've, I've had a, I've had a varied career. Uh, my first, my first job as a, as a young person was in retail. Uh, I went on to become a store manager of Blockbuster before I, uh, left there to join um, the team that launched the first Xbox in Australia. So I was in charge of of uh, the merchandising and the liaison between Microsoft 
and the retailers mm. to launch Xbox. And while it seems funny to say it now, we had to go in there and fight for floor space because Sony <laughs> was was definitely the the king of the jungle. Because that's what, like 2001? Yeah, 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 2001, 2002, around that, around that time. Sure. Um, so my my favorite memory of that, though, is being able to play Halo 12 months before everybody else, which was cool. <laughs> Um, so just so before, I, before we move on, because I think my listeners yep. will be fairly interested in that just as a side story. But like, so you're basically working for Microsoft and trying to convince places like, um, I guess, Target and Kmart. And I don't know if EB Games was around back then, but t- trying to convince them that this new system was going to be something that they wanted to sell. So what was yeah. that like? And, and what that, was- that was that was exciting. Uh, it was it was a great a great time in my life. It was very good for my ego. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so I started off. Uh, I'd fly to Sydney quite often because the head office for Microsoft is at North Ride, um, and I was in charge of Southeast Queensland or the the Brisbane sector. And my role was to introduce uh, retailers and their staff to Xbox, what it was, what, what it had to offer and how we believed it was the superior console in the market, which at that time, I still believe it was. <laughs> Come um, on, man. You don't know who you're talking to here. <laughs> and um, so we, I get to spend, I got to spend that Christmas running around, handing out free games, being everyone's friend, inviting them to launch parties anything we could do mm. to to get people on side with Xbox. So many demos, so many games. I got to see so many launch titles. Uh, go to, I'd, I'd fly to North Ride. Someone would be presenting a new game for Xbox. We'd have to test it out, try it, get to play with it. And then we'd fly back home and, mm. and then tell all our people about it. And I guess that they were probably people who like weren't necessarily gamers or that that familiar they just know like the basics of the nintendo's popular the, the playstation's popular like they weren't really in the infrastructure and the, the industry of, of consoles and games that's correct yeah, yeah very much so and uh i think the 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 biggest the biggest challenge i had was microsoft was very adamant about their warranty structure it couldn't okay. go back via the retailer it had to go to microsoft and of course all the retailers would no no we have our own customer guarantees and and that was mm. quite a lot of fun but the the in the beginning harvey norman were not interested in us they wouldn't wouldn't have us at all and eb De- games was definitely around but jb hi-fi was not considered as as a potential partner back then, which I find quite mm. funny, considering I think now I pretty much buy all my stuff through JB Hi-Fi. It's funny, isn't it? Because I guess even the concept that Microsoft would release a console that people wouldn't be that interested in seems kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had to we had to contend with a number of Microsoft uh, products that had come out before then that sort of didn't really right. work. But okay, but Xbox was. The Xbox was really a push to be to win the lounge room. That that was the way it was fought. So while at that time Sony was this is a games console, Microsoft were adamant that this was going to become the central point of the of the lounge room. It would do everything. Uh, and what we've seen with the next gen consoles is that certainly the case now mm-hmm. that you can run everything through through your your console, whether it be Xbox or or PlayStation. Yeah. So that was that was an exciting time, and then I um after it all sort of died down a bit, and it was business as usual. I, I think I was looking for that next big rush, and I was poached by EB Games and became an area manager for them in in Southeast Queensland. 
which at the time I kind of considered a career. I'd committed a bit of career suicide. I didn't enjoy it that much in terms of dealing with the area manager side of things from the administrative side. But what I did really enjoy was working with the staff and and teaching the staff. And we took our, I'd say we, they took the region that that I was given and we went from pretty much the bottom to near the top within 12 months. And that that's that's not a brag in terms of look what I did. It was a, it was a, a thing that I relished in terms of instead of me going in like I did in the past and everything was done by me, I really learnt how to motivate others to to reach their potential. Mm. And it wasn't about dictating terms. It was about giving people enough information to do their job effectively and efficiently and even giving them a, f- a fair amount of freedom to try and improve themselves uh, in terms of the way they did their job and gave them a lot of ownership, which I think is missing in retail a lot of the times that I've seen with the number of retail stores that I've worked um, with through Xbox, where everything was very regimented and you had to do it a specific way. But I think if you give your staff uh, enough freedom and ownership over what they're working on, they're not only happier, but they produce the outcomes that we're looking for as a retailer. And I got a huge kick out of that so that later on, um, when I left there and, and started my own telecommunications business for 11 years, um, when that was coming to an end, when the copper network was finishing up and I had to decide whether I was going to spend about 20 grand to tool up for the optic fiber network, I decided I was sick of working alone. It wasn't really what I liked doing anyway. What did I want to do? I wanted to, what did I really enjoy about my past roles? And that was working with young people and, mm. and teaching them. And so the best way I thought to do that was become a, a youth worker. Yeah. It's really cool to see how all the strands have kind of come together to, to point towards what you're doing now, I think. Yeah. It's, um, I think it actually gives, it gives me a bit of a, an advantage um, when I've spoken to a, a few people within my industry that maybe have, that they've studied it from the beginning and they've been in this industry for the whole time. I think sometimes I they have to be educated on how other things work. I, that might be sounds a bit pompous, but I think there's you can be isolated within the services industry without getting an idea of what's happening outside of it. Yeah. Um, and to to bring that experience in, I think has been has been certainly been helpful for me. Um, cool. And like I just had a few weeks ago a. Uh, a, do- a psychiatrist, a doctor talking about like the mental health benefits in gaming. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing, you know, you don't have that medical background, but what was the process like of convincing a group like Gen U that there is a, uh, a social benefit to games when, I don't know, most people probably don't look at video games in that manner. They see all these stories in the media about addiction and violence and mm-hmm. Fortnite or whatever it is. So what was it, what's it been like for you, that process of taking it from an idea that you had while you were sitting in, in the internet cafe to a actual funded program? On one hand, I've been extraordinarily lucky. My higher-up manager, Glenn, who is the head of Participate, he has an understanding of gaming in the sense... I, I, he He's a video gamer, I think, of a while back. He hasn't done it for a while, but he, he at least grasped the concept of gaming and he's very innovative. So I've been very lucky in, in that respect. I also had the advantage, though, that by the time I had 
landed in participate's lap i'd already established some some runs on the board so as a psw i was working for the mental health department or what was then known as transcend when the merger was finalized and genu uh changed who would be running what to try and streamline their operation any group work went to participate because they were the specialists in 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 group activities so i was moved from the mental health based unit to participate and in the beginning they didn't know who i was or what i was doing and i had to then explain uh to my uh to the then senior day which was a, a young lady by the name of sharon who was very supportive and and um although she didn't know exactly what i was talking about <laughs> uh my enthusiasm won her over and she so the the programs continued and as it was hard because I, I could show the clients that I had now, but they had come so far already. Um, it was, wasn't until I started getting a couple of new clients in and then showing the progression straight up that, that the buzz really started happening about we need, we need to look harder at this and support this. And thank, again, that luck that I seem to be under at the moment is Genu has certainly got a, a focus right now of, looking more in the, in the youth stream they're looking more at um they're looking at their own organization saying look we've done some stuff really really well for the past 30 40 years but is that still relevant today and can we do it better and mm. and so while they they're keeping all the core stuff that they're very very good at they're really looking at innovation not for innovation's sake but to appeal to and support a evolved community would probably be the best best way to describe it because the needs of the young people today are very different to the needs of the young people 20 or 30 years ago. Yeah, that's really interesting. So what would you say has been the hardest part of getting this all up and running and, and even just your personal uh, journey to go from what you were doing before to what you're doing now? Probably the hardest, the hardest thing for me personally is at times... I I doubt myself, I guess, in terms of because I I have to deliver the games as well as create the programs and and bring on the staff and and get more more clients in. So there have been times when my head is so full of work that there's not a lot of space left for the creativity. So I've had trouble in the beginning, and especially and while we've been sort of floating around from different sites uh, of keeping that creativity and that energy, that creativity level up. We had a site based out at Marshall, which was going to be our permanent spot. That was, uh, but unfortunately got condemned due to um, various reasons. And until, <laughs> until now we haven't actually had our own, had our own site uh, in a organization that's rather large. You can imagine that bureaucracy to get things done takes a little longer than in smaller organizations uh, so there's been some delays that for me were, were were almost painful but thankfully because of those delays everything got checked and so everything is done right now so there's a there's a trade-off there and a balance sure and i guess that's just one of the frustrations that comes of working with bureaucracy and organization and making sure that everything's done the right way as they have to be these days yeah especially if they want to fuck over money to make it happen <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you're dealing with people's uh you know either their kids or their family members and relatives and 
that kind of things. So when people put those guys in your care, you have to make sure everything's up to standard, I guess. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. very, very much so. Yeah. Cool. So what would be your advice to anyone that wants to get into, I guess, maybe social work with a slant of, of that kind of gaming side of things? My, my advice first would be um, do it. Just do it. If if that's in your heart, if that's if you have a calling for it, go for it. Uh, it. It's a it's an interesting journey. It's certainly not what I expected it to be when I first started studying. I would certainly recommend that anyone that does undertake the study to start doing the practical components as quickly as possible. You've got to get, uh, I believe it's about 150 hours, if I remember correctly, to get your certificate. If you're going for the minimum, which is certificate four, and while you could learn a lot in a classroom, you will learn it a hundred times faster when you you're out there in the real world, actually yeah. <laughs> working with with people, and people will surprise you in some very good ways. It um it, it is truly a hum humbling experience. Of the right, yeah, humbling experience to know that you have made a difference in someone's life and it can be just mm. a small thing and and it's not a it's not a hey I'm a hero look at me it's just your if you come into the industry and you help someone with maybe even just a basic task to them that is a big thing and to see that gratification and to feel that um thank is it, it, it it's uh yeah it it certainly ticks all my boxes and i mean even on a, like that's a very small thing that is a is big to those people but i think you even mentioned last time we caught up that there was a guy who almost just never left his room like those kind of horror stories that you hear about people that are so crippled by whatever ails them whether mm -hmm. it's mental health or depression or whatever and that that's completely turned around so to be part of those kinds of transformations would be really cool i imagine well it's yeah they've within the actual role-playing side of things there's been some what i call hallelujah moments that i'm i'm not ashamed that by the end of the session i i was crying sort of from eureka mm. um so the, the young man that I, we were talking about before when he came to me um i was told by his father that he hadn't left his room essentially for nine years he'd been isolated he'd isolated himself uh he had a very bad experience at school isolated himself and his life was video gaming so for most people especially parents that maybe not understand what's going on they see the video games as the problem as mm. opposed to the anxiety and the depression and why their child uh, has isolated themselves socially so he came to to our first session and i i didn't think he'd stay uh, he was so quiet he didn't give us a lot back and he was he just sort of sat there well he did come back and not only did he come back he he stayed with the role-playing group and then he joined the board game group and then he joined the gym group and now he's actually gone back to school he's he's now studying again his demeanor has changed so much that he's he's even flirting with some of the girls that are in the group. So from a guy that wouldn't talk or make eye contact to someone who now feels comfortable enough to be friendly with other people, you know. So yeah. when I say flirting, I'm not. I'm, he's not been creepy. He's he's yeah. just actually communicating with a girl, of the opposite. Uh, uh, someone yeah. of the opposite sex, yeah. and he's comfortable enough to do it without feeling that he needs to hide or cringe or that he's not worthwhile. You know, and yeah. and that to me is is a truly you know that he is one of the reasons that um, 
I, I believe this program has given got the attention that it did. When we could go to the higher ups and say, look, this is where he started, this is where he was, this is where he is now, and this is what we did to get him there. They went, well, there's obviously something here we, we need to we need to look deeper. Yeah, that's cool. I guess it's like taking that thing that the parents might have perceived as a negative and, and finding a way to turn it into something very positive, and that, that's really cool. And I know you mentioned getting some resources from a couple of guys in Seattle so this is obviously something that's done elsewhere in the world, but I haven't until I, you know, talked to Ryan about it. I didn't really know about these kinds of things. So I hope it is something that becomes very widespread and um, kind of just a very common part of of the services that uh, offered to either disability or or mental health. Yeah, it's it's certainly it's certainly getting traction and expanding. Uh, one of the things I really loved about the guys from Wheelhouse Workshop. Um, they've changed their business name to Games to Grow now, but they have a philosophy that you know, there's more than enough people out there that need help. It's mm. not about trying to protect your business. They they freely share their information. They freely share their successes and how they do it. And I, going back to your question before, I would strongly advocate anyone who thinks that they can use, who who has a degree of experience with gaming and mental health, to to find an organization and and try and get them to to build a program like this but even if you don't have that background the beauty about the gaming community whether it's video gaming or tabletop gaming when you go to a convention like cancon or something like that the community is so welcoming walk into any any gaming store today and while there might be that stereotype that it's full of of nerds that don't like to talk to people, it's far from the truth. You know, you are welcomed because you share the same interests that they do. Yeah, no doubt. So my last question, Paris, if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Wow. (laughs) Wow. That one's out of the blue. Uh, If I could do anything. I like to close with this. Yeah. Do, do people pause as long as I do? Um, yeah, some, yeah, they do. <laughs> if anyone answers straight away, it's it's usually pretty surprising. Is it? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's ever happened, really. Um, if I could do something and knew I wouldn't fail. Right now, today, I would open one of these sites in every town and city mm. in Australia and train people to do what I do, find the people that do what I do. And make this service available uh, not just to people that are already in the mental health system that that need help, but if that resource was available to within schools right now, and and to grab those kids now that are currently feeling isolated, but before they get to that stage yeah. that they don't want to engage with anyone, so help them find their tribe today instead of making them feel like they're alone. That would be what I what I'd aim for. Cool. That's awesome. I, I guess like getting people to come along to one of your programs could be the hardest part sometimes because once they're there, it's, it's you know, there's a program for it, but getting them to come along could be the challenge. Yeah, yeah, very much. And especially for people that don't know what role-playing games are, uh, trying to get them to understand what we do. Because uh, if you say, well, it's like a choose-your-own-adventure, but you get a lot more control, 
that doesn't necessarily show it. A lot of the times you have to show a game, get them to yeah. play a game to see what it is. Thankfully now with Ryan on board and we've got video games involved with his expertise, that's become easier. Like the, the people are attracted to the video game side of it, but they see all the other stuff we do and yeah. we can get them on board, which is cool. Very good. Well, thanks so much, Paris, for sharing your journey and and what you're up to at the moment. It's really interesting and hopefully uh, people out there can either... Um, yeah, learn a bit about what games can do and get the ball rolling to do something similar in their own communities if there's any room for that. Oh, there's definitely room for that. And uh, uh, yeah, if you can, even if you just invite someone to your table to play a game of, you know, a board game, that can make a huge difference mm. in someone's life. Yeah, that's cool. All right, thanks, man. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. That was Paris Conti, and you can find his program on Twitter at GenuGamer. It's a very new Twitter account, so get over there, give it a follow. If you enjoyed the show, I would love it if you could leave an iTunes review or go over to 8bit.net slash P-I-W, that's A-T-E-B-I-T, and that's where you can find some sweet putting-in-work merchandise, as well as the rest of the awesome podcast content from the 8-Bit Collective. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Jono himself. And until next week, keep putting in work.